Uh, I'm glad that was recorded for posterity's sake. Me turning the corner on wine bars. <laughs> they don't know what I know. They don't know. Hey, it's Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Dorna. Welcome back for another Hang in the Laboratory. Uh, thank you for joining us. And special thanks, as always, to our supporters who throw us as little as a buck a month to uh, keep the lights on at the laboratory. You heard a third voice this week, with, which means we've got a guest episode. Uh, this week, we've got uh, Dorna Moini, the founder of Documate which is a legal tech company. So we finally kind of get to go down the rabbit hole that I spend my, my days in uh, a little more. But uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you guys. Uh, so do you want to kind of kick off with the, just sort of the Documate story and kind of you know, well, what you guys do and how you got there? And then inevitably that'll cover the overlap with this stuff and Hopefully we can Definitely. get off the deep end into access to justice and, and theories of democracy and stuff like that as quickly as possible. <laughs> Definitely. So like you, Adam, um, well, I used to be a lawyer and we started out our platform at Document very differently. It was actually a little bit more like what you guys are doing at Juris. Um, I was a lawyer at uh, a law firm doing more cor- representing more corporate defendants and we, uh, I was doing a lot of pro bono work in domestic violence and found that a lot of my time was being spent on routine and form-based work. And so I wanted to build out a tool, basically a TurboTax for domestic violence survivors, which I then did with my co-founder. We went through all of the different decision tree logic to, to build out a workflow that led either an individual or a legal aid organization down the path to pretty quickly put together a packet for domestic violence restraining order. And what we were planning on doing was creating all of these different areas of of content for mostly low and moderate income users. But throughout that process, because we were working with a lot of legal aid organizations, we found that many of them really didn't want us to build them content. They just wanted to be able to automate their own, what was in their brains about how the workflow should work without having to hire an engineer. Um, so we kind of pivoted from our original content-based site and created Document, which is now a document automation software platform. What we allow people to do is get onto the platform, create all kinds of log- questions and logical decision trees, and then connect those to a set of documents. Um, we, you can also create a workflow that doesn't actually have documents attached to it and just give people decisions on different things. Hmm, so. Cool. That's what we are now. I need that. I need that at my company. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I use that for it's like 15 different things. Some, there are some non-legal <laughs> uses too. So we have some people in sales and you know, any kind of document that had that is routine or form-driven for sure. can, can be documented. Oh, very cool. And, and, and that's one of the core secrets that lawyers don't want you to know about the world. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all those cool books this, that are in the background and of lawyers' offices are just like pre-made documents, mo- mostly, explain, right? Yeah, pre-made documents <laughs> and explaining how to use them <laughs> and why. Uh, that's it. That's all the books. Um, it's funny because that transition. So I I teach a class at USC Law School right now, and I also went to USC Law School, 
And so I went into the library the first day that I was that I was teaching a class, and I was like, this library looks really different. I can't pinpoint what's different. There are more couches. Maybe it looks a little more done up. And then finally, I didn't even figure this out. A student had to tell me, there are no books in here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so all of those templates and all those, those forms are now on, right. on the internet. <laughs> right. Yeah, we uh, were we were still students when there were books and computers. So it was like, why are these other things in here? I just where's the computer? <laughs> I had well, I had the experience of going to law school after being out in the world for ten years. So when we were in college, like there weren't laptops in classrooms, and then I started law school, and it's just all laptops. And the funny thing is, I work in tech, so obviously I'm caught up with the trend of using laptops to do things. <laughs> Uh, I ended up sitting in the back taking notes by hand because I was like, the point here is to pay attention so I yeah. don't have to cram at the end of the semester. And just writing it is how you get it into your, your head. You can't transcribe. You can't like outline as aggressively. But anyway, other From times on the podcast, I'm pretty I can't sure. I read my handwriting, but at least yeah. you, you did the mental <laughs> oh, exercise man. of writing. Right. That's my problem. My notes are such a mess. Yeah. Really, my notes are a real view inside of my head. When you look at them, they're just covered in <laughs> scribbles and like shapes and stuff, swirlies. So I think, uh, so I think the place to start in terms of chasing down the sort of more philosophical, sort of interesting, and ultimately the access to justice things that that we were all excited to talk about, rather than mm -hmm. what we do all day, uh, is like you're you're the non lawyer here, Brian. So like, w what? I want to start back at defining access to justice, but not even through the lens of like what you think that means yet. Like what's your context for dealing with the legal system? And I mean, obviously you're like, you're a business owner, you have lawyers. One of your founders yeah. is a lawyer. Like from the beginning of your startup journey, you had somebody there going, Hey, here's the paperwork we really should do. <laughs> you asked Which the right like question. Of, you know, it's, it's an interesting, <laughs> if you frame it that way, we, my co-founder had just graduated from law school, so he hadn't practiced law anywhere. And so we decided lawyers are too expensive. Uh, we're just going to do everything ourselves. And so uh, kind of the same situation you have, or I've experienced with a lot of personal stuff until recently when I'm like a little older and have a little more money and like make better decisions <laughs> to hire professionals to help me. Um, and so... It was a situation where we're just like, we're totally overwhelmed uh, by all of these things that we're probably supposed to be hiring lawyers for. We assume they're wildly expensive because that's kind of like the trope in society. Uh, and you're kind of intimidated. You're like, I, you, you picture lawyers and a lot of the time lawyers are in gigantic, uber expensive mansions of offices, right? Where like all the chairs are made of leather and the conference room overlooks the entire city. And so you're just really, you're confused. You're like, I'm, I feel out of my element. This doesn't feel like where my company's supposed to be or where I'm supposed to be personally. It's kind of like healthcare. You're not sure what you're going to get charged. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I've, I've always felt lost, to be honest. And even now, a lot of the time, I'm kind of like, I can't figure out what I need to figure out what is going on. Yeah. And as you say, Brian, you know, it's one of the only industries where you can't go online and find a price sheet. Like everything else <laughs> totally. that you go to, you're like, I know how much this costs. It may be very expensive or it may be cheap, but you, it's at least transparent. Right. Whereas I have never seen a law firm website that has pricing on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's sort of like the business context for you. 
Yeah. Talk about you know like the end of the reason that business contest exists context exists is because you don't want to have to go to court as a business. It's an irresponsible thing to spend a lot of time and money on. Uh what's your what's your experience Brian of like the court systems? Like have you ever contested like have you ever like gone to traffic court? Let's see. I've been I've I've been to court one time when I was younger for having beer before I was 21. And then I went to court. I think I've been to court twice for speeding tickets. I think both times they've been thrown out. One time I was thrown out because I the judge literally was like, you're the only person who's ever been taller than my bailiff. And so she just dismissed <laughs> it. She said, it's fine. Um, and then I have... That might, be, that might be it for things I've done. I mean, I've been to court. I've been to like a jury. I was in a jury selection once where I actually had to go into the courtroom. But that lasted 15 minutes. And then everyone got let, let out. And so... You know, I mean, that frames your view on the answers of sort of like what's access to justice, right? Yeah. Uh, but you can certainly speak to pieces of it that are interesting, which is like, you know, the extent to which it just the courtroom is a scary building. And when you go in there just for traffic court, it's like you're looking <laughs> at everybody going, I wonder what that guy did. You know, and like totally. And, and just and then the and then the like judge who's going to handle your case is just trying to churn through as many of these things by the end of the day as possible. So that they can, you know, have a clearance rate that's like, and then, and then they're just condescending to you. It kind of feels like they recognize uh... your last name, like has (laughs) happened to me in Baltimore. It the Uh, the uh, the courthouse kind of feels like the adult version of the principal's office. It's like a bunch of people that are are older than you. They have like lots of paperwork. Um, There may or may not be security guards everywhere. So, yeah, so that kind of, like, I feel like gets us to the more like, so when you think about access to justice, which, Brian, for you is something that you hear me talk about all the time, uh, in part because you're an advisor at Juris, but also as a friend, you know, it's the side of the project that I, it motivates the whole, the reason I work all day at the things I actually do. Um, Like, what's your, what do you, what, when, when you see that headline that says, you know, there's a, there's an access to justice crisis or an access to justice gap, like, where do you, what are you imagining? Uh, We talked a little bit about this before to kind of get the, get a sense for where my head is with this. I think before I started hearing about uh, companies like yours, Adam, and yours, Dorna, I would have thought a big fancy term like access to justice um i i picture you made a you had a good visual i picture like superman on the moon with an american flag right it's like a bigger i picture like international issues and treaties and uh like political international political prisoners um i guess on a more local scale i kind of i i i would have thought uh i wouldn't have thought day to day which is actually where both of your companies are addressing um like the masses that actually really day to day are are feeling uh, access to justice needs, right? I would have, because as a, as a, as just kind of like a regular person <laughs> who's not an attorney, um, who doesn't deal with the law day to day, you just don't see how prolific it is. You know, you don't yeah. see it's, it's, it defines everything we do. Yeah. It's also, those are the, the criminal justice issues are the ones that are most newsworthy. Like mm, totally. this person went to jail and didn't commit the crime and is was put to death or yeah uh, you know i don't know if you guys have seen the or read brian stevenson's book or seen the movie that just came out about it just mercy it's uh about you know he represents criminal defendants who have 
been wrongfully convicted. Mm -hmm. And those are things that the the general public is interested in seeing because I think people are, it pulls at their heartstrings and they realize that there's an injustice, but they don't realize that all these other areas of daily legal life could have as can have as big of an impact on whether or not you're, you know, you continue to live in a, in a, in a reasonable way um, is, is viable. And like, you know, eviction defense, for example, if you don't have someone helping you with either getting your, for example, even your getting your security deposit back, that is a big chunk of money for a lot of people mm-hmm. that will prevent them from being able to sustain their kids. It might lead to them not having any food for their kids. Mm-hmm. It may lead to them being homeless for, for several right. weeks or for longer. Uh, so there are a lot, of, a lot of civil justice issues that we don't talk about as much as a society unless they become really big and, and newsworthy and impactful in that way. Yeah, it's interesting that, uh, I mean, it kind of feels right to me that we're more emotionally attached to criminal, um, or at least the, the criminal cases that kind of come to mind, like wrongful imprisonment mm-hmm. and uh, murder and aggravated assault, these like aggressive things. Um, but in aggregate, that's, they're much less common, right? The con- civil stuff is happening constantly. Ad- Adam and I talk about this a lot, uh, as, as we were like, as he was first formulating the business, we realized, uh, in the modern day, actually how incredibly common everyone's, uh, interaction with contracts is, right? Like you're all day as a modern technical person signing contracts on the internet like every app you install almost every time you open your phone it asks you to like re- reaffirm a contract which is insane uh and we just don't think about them until something something happens yeah like the way i used to say it is you know like my, uh, your dad's generation brian for example and I, and I bring him up because we have specifically talked about conversations that the two of you had when you were young about like, read every contract. Very like, responsible. Well, okay. <laughs> Very responsible notion that I should read every contract. Yeah. But you won't have time for anything else. That dude's only ever read 10 contracts ever. He bought a house. He bought a car. He got hired. Uh, <laughs> maybe something associated with marriage or health things. He's got a cell phone now. You know, yeah, okay, (laughs) so there you go. But like, you know, at at the point of giving you that advice, that's where that experience was. I have have literally signed six contracts this morning because (laughs) these new California privacy rules rolled out and everybody has to roll out a new terms of service. Google has a thing at the top of their main search platform right now causes everyone to just go yeah okay to whatever the new terms of service are totally and it's 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 bananas and people don't this is like civil law is boring i mean it's it's boring <laughs> to tell a story about and like you said it, it needs to be that way we need the story to be like you want people to understand that our system is actually really really good at not convicting you of murder wrongly like it happens and there are good stories in when it happens and what you, how we try to fix it. But like nobody talks about the hundreds of trials going on in any given state at any given time where it's like, yeah, actually not guilty. And then as a lawyer, when you start to understand that stuff, it gets weird because, you know, like when you want to talk about weird laws, like, like stand your ground or something like that. And when you start to talk about those situations, you get into that space of occasionally running into a thing where the public's all upset that somebody was let off. 
and you recognize it as a factor of the system where it's just like, yeah, but you're going to be really happy that that's the way the system works if you're ever falsely accused of murder. Because that's what's going to get you off, right? So, in a <laughs> that's true. It's it's kind of like how um, the you know you have to take both sides. You have to be a zealous advocate. Both sides deserve zealous advocacy and representation. And what you just said, Adam, kind of reminds me of I think it's the ACLU who like supports the Nazis in some of their protests because not because obviously they support the message <laughs> of the Nazis, right. but because they support free speech. And so sometimes you might not like the actor, you know, like this, right. the George Zimmerman thing, you might not like the actor, but the law behind it, it applies universally. And so you can't just pick and choose who you want to apply it to because there's totally. some political issue on the front page. Yeah, the, uh, the perspective that attorneys can bring to conversations uh, is very exacting. Um, which is this this is interesting it it brings me kind of to where both of you are again uh the overlap between uh my experience as a software engineer and your experiences as attorneys there are an incredible amount of parallels um you're you're trying you're having to have conversations and build uh rules and regulations and and documents that are just very exacting and very specific and very comprehensive um, and they have to kind of be like executed in ways they have to be read through in ways that, th that different things happen at the end of your reading. Uh, it's very different than how people go about most of the rest of life, like looking at things and talking about things. One of the things I've recently heard proposed, which kind of goes hand in hand with the idea that, you know, people don't know what the law is and so they can't necessarily fulfill it is, um, the intersection of legal and engineering and building rules into code. Mm -hmm. So taking like, for example, you get into a car and I think that, I don't know if this exists already, but you get into a car, you have to blow into something mm -hmm. universally before you can drive it because you might not know that the blood alcohol level uh, limit is 0.08 or whatever it might be. Right. But the, a car, if the, if the rules are built into the system, and so you're then not having to, to go, go figure out what they are and read them, that it, it does help. And maybe not as much in the breathalyzer example, but in other areas, <laughs> it could help in, uh, in the access to justice issues. Yeah. I mean, this is way down the rabbit hole of the blockchain stuff that like uh, my, my white paper is about, which is like, uh, we're, we're working on a version of a lease agreement where we use the facts of uh, some blockchain stuff and and smart contracts to uh essentially try to flip the dynamic on security deposits so the security deposit when you sign your lease is held in an escrow that is not isn't controlled by either party and then it's released automatically at the deadline if the landlord doesn't proactively make a claim against it which people are like okay that. whatever but that would be huge in terms of a lot of the stuff we're seeing in terms of the 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 way that landlords behave with security deposits and that's a needle mover for like most of the country in terms of how much money you get back i mean when you're talking about a situation where the stats are just are, are really disappointing in terms of how many people could withstand a $500 medical emergency like right now Mm -hmm. um, I think the average person has like less than $400 in savings. 
Yeah. So anyway, so that's that piece of the, you know, like the, the interesting piece about where they really are starting to merge where like, it's funny cause we call it the U S code, but it's actually just a bunch of rules. It's really like a code of conduct for the humans within the system. And then, you know, you have computer code, which is run rigidly by a computational system. So to back up a step though, I think like you get the criminal justice piece, the thing to understand about the civil side, which is boring. So people don't talk about it all the time, but like, it's churning constantly. And it's the reason that your contracts are enforceable because there's a place where you can go and say, we made this agreement. The law says they have to honor it. They're not, I want my money back. Uh, and, and, and that applies to all of these contracts that you're signing all throughout the day. So as boring as it is, the civil justice system is the system that's currently trying to absorb the increased volume of all of those terms of service agreements. Wait, what's the what's the and it difference? It was already bad at volume. What's technically <laughs> the ago. difference between criminal and civil? Criminal would be anything that it's basically the state that is prosecuting you for something. Okay. So it's not an individual. It's not like me versus you, a yeah. dispute against the property about a property or something like that. It's and it also entails different types of fines and penalties, including very heavy fines and then obviously imprisonment. Mm -hmm. Whereas civil, like you can't throw someone in jail for being in debt. Um, there, uh, there are different uh, penalties. And then it's also usually between two people. The OJ trial you watched on TV, if you're yeah. of a certain age, that was the criminal trial. There was a whole second civil trial in which they broke him because they took so much money from him. And but was there was that no, like, he was never going like to go to prison. Not possible. And so that was like the family of his ex-wife suing him for damages or something jointly it was the family of his ex-wife and the other guy because remember there's some like personal trainer the dude driving the, the bronco oh he killed two people that's right or allegedly killed two people i guess <laughs> exactly right he's been acquitted you gotta get it right so so yeah so that kind of like okay. it gets us to the seam of technology and the legal stuff and it's just a really interesting place. And it's the relevant place for the engineering sort of version of the conversation. Because, like, the reason I sound hoarse is because I spent two <laughs> hours last night shouting at a bar at a data scientist about exactly the same thing. Like, if you want to talk about what gets automated and whose jobs go away, blah, 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 whatever the fear narratives are around all this stuff, like, you will always have a job if you focus on a profession where you're helping humans with this this border right where technology hits the yeah. humans right and the other thing so, is like people keep saying that we're automating away you know legal jobs but really right now there's only two groups of people in the u.s who have access to legal services it's companies and you know upper middle class people who can afford an attorney for a will and things like that mm -hmm. and then at the other end of the scale it's uh at the, at, the, at the other end of the spectrum it's people who have 125 percent of the poverty level or below in terms of income because they can access legal services, legal aid, oh, if they can even get themselves to be taken to, they can transport themselves right. to a location where they can actually get those legal services. Everyone in between is not currently a legal consumer. And right. so if you're thinking about it from a selfish perspective as a, as a legal profession, you should actually be welcoming automation because it allows us to provide lower cost legal services to the middle class who wouldn't normally be able to, you know, challenge their yeah. security deposit. Now they pay some small amount 
And that's a volume-based practice for, for could be a volume-based practice for a law firm. Yeah, it really is a, it's a product problem, right? It's kind of like there's only ever been sports cars on the market because it's been so hard to make a car. And now there's now there's like a little two door coupe <laughs> that anyone can hop in and take a, bi- a, ride. a bicycle, <laughs> yeah, an, an e scooter, you know. Totally, every we need legal e scooters. There's a good line. <laughs> I guess just like those uh, the, the bird scooters. There's yeah. a similar backlash against automated legal services as there's against those totally. people like snipping their brakes. <laughs> so there's there's interesting aspects of the conversation on like in all directions at this point. Right. So, I mean, obviously I already pulled back from going down the rabbit hole of what it looks like to have automated contracts. Right. But you can imagine how stuff gets interesting as the contracts themselves get to be more and more sort of code like and automatically executed, blah, blah, blah. And then there's questions of like, okay, how do you even do that fairly? Because again, people aren't going to read the contracts. And so now this thing is just going to happen on the other side of the contract, your money's going to disappear and you're going to go, where did that go? Oh, I've got a good story already, right? So, I've yeah. got a good story of my interaction with the legal system that maybe will prompt something here. And I'm get, I guess this is criminal, maybe civil. I don't know. You guys can decide. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to lunch downtown uh, with two of my business partners one day. This was like 10 years ago. And we jaywalked. We walked across the middle of the street. There's no one around. The city was like empty. San Diego is not a pop, like a populated downtown, or at least it wasn't then. And super aggressively get pulled over by a cop on a motorcycle. He like popped a wheelie up onto the curb and like skidded. And that's how I remember at least skidded in front of us. He's like, halt, citizen. And we were we were like, oh, my God, something horrendous is going on. This guy just saved our lives. And he's like, you just jaywalked. I'm writing you up. So we get tickets. <laughs> stupid tickets for like 300 bucks and so my partner who's an attorney uh wrote a letter to the city uh contesting these and he wrote the exact same letter for all three of us we sent them on the same day and like the same certified mail and when we got our responses we all got three different responses uh, at three different times like spread out over months maybe weeks and the same person had reviewed all three of our letters. And one of us got the full fine, one got it cut in half, and one got dismissed entirely. And so it was like, it couldn't have been a better test case for like the same thing happening. Um, and they just totally different responses for all three. And that's an example of a fault in the system, right? I mean, the system's supposed to be processing the details of your case and figuring out what the whether it's criminal or civil doesn't really matter. But in that case, that would probably be criminal because it's the state against you. It's like an charging infraction, you with a, I think. An infraction, right. Yeah. So you like can't it's go not, to jail a, for it, but... not a misdemeanor, but you broke a rule. They could charge you some money. I got a jaywalking ticket when I first moved to LA. It was like seventy five bucks. I was just like, what? You guys take that seriously <laughs> here? I'm from Baltimore. We don't. It was a huge surprise. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and that's one of the, the kind of lowest levels of seeing how the justice system works. You know, you yeah. it's something that you, you can't go to jail for. But imagine that type of disparity in responses mm-hmm. at something that that is more you know weighty and right. is actually impactful in your life. Well, that that was an interesting experience as a younger a younger person 
with less experience in the world, less business experience, less like financial experience. My only interaction with the law up until that point was like, hey, man, you're doing something wrong. Um, whereas now I'm older. And I think the piece that a lot of people miss and probably most of the population never even gets exposed to is the law can be used to benefit you, um, which is that's one of the places I think most people feel like I'm trapped under the boot of the law because there is no access to justice for them. And so they don't get to see where the law helps protect them and plan for their families and plan for bad things that happen as opposed to only like being reactionary to the bad things that are happening. Definitely. Yeah. If you have some kind of knowledge of the system, it can, it can be used to protect you. So how do we have a right to that knowledge? Like the laws are public. You're supposed to be able to go read them and understand the rules (laughs) and, and, and you have a right to represent yourself. Nothing can stop you from getting up and saying, here's my case in court. It's, it's a free speech matter on some level. Like, so you know, we have this interesting situation now where we've already talked about how people don't have access or here's the spectrum of access to the lawyers who are the ones that explain this complex system. And then on the other side, you have this thing where what you're dealing with is a branch of government. It's, you have public rights like tied up in this stuff that aren't just everyone has them. You're supposed to have a right to this civil justice system that protects you in disputes with other people so that like it's 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 an it, uh, my dad has a way of saying it that I would totally butcher. So we'll just have him on at some point to talk about it. But he's just like, it's some, it, the, the quote is something like, it's a thousand year old rule of our system. If someone wrongs you, you are entitled to be made whole. Um, and there's so many people that just don't understand that. And there's, so, and there's this, and it's like, and I, I think it comes back to that sort of gradient we were talking about where you have access to justice. Right. Quote, quote, access to justice. And it, it sounds so criminal law and so like law and order. And I just every time the word I hear the word justice, I just hear the bum bum like from <laughs> law and order in my head. Right. I guess a better <laughs> way to phrase it is more like access to legal services. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, a lot of and then the other side of that spectrum is legal aid or pro bono. Right. The other end of that spectrum sounds so much like charity. Yeah. And that people that are just the like right either. I would like to take care of myself, you know, like that's a yeah. real human, human need. And access so to legal services that, pops up like the right image for me because access to legal justice, I immediately go to like, am I going to be behind bars? Like it's a, it, I go to the criminal side of things, whereas legal services, all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, like helping me with a tax dispute or a contract that wasn't executed properly when I was purchasing something that was expensive. And now I have a, fiduciary problem that i shouldn't have um and these rights uh, exist for you it's just a matter of knowing how to take advantage of them and it's especially funny when you have your first experience where you have an attorney do something for you and the problem immediately goes away (laughs) (laughs) that's the real eye-opener i think for a lot of people it was for me um that was actually it was a it was a um deposit on a rental property um my roommate who was an attorney wrote a letter and next day we all got our deposits back. Definitely. I actually encounter this a lot with family members who ask for for a legal, like help on legal issues because I find that they often, if they're not lawyers and they don't know much about the legal system, they come to me with a problem that they think is unjust. You know, something, some mm. un- injustice has been done and they have some like reason why they think it's, it's unjust, but they don't know 
the, the claims that they're making would not get them any kind of relief in court if they were to right. go there because they're not articulating it in the right way. Whereas if you talk to a lawyer or someone who just knows about what the, what the law is, they can help you craft the legal reasoning behind why you're entitled to that relief. What do you usually see as the like misunderstanding there? Or like, what is it that, that a, a lawyer is able to articulate or how do they, how do they retell the story in a way that makes the injustice applicable? I think it's, there's, there are just so many procedural requirements and uh, rules that you can take advantage of mm-hmm. that help you in something that just seems unfair. Mm-hmm. So for example, I actually have currently a family member who um, is, there's this whole issue. She does a bunch of vacation rentals and they're proposing to ban vacation rentals in her city. And it's a big part of her income. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like her livelihood. And so she comes to me and she says, and they were actually allowing it in certain parts of the city and not in other parts of the city. And she goes, this is discriminatory. And I think it's really easy to use these words like discriminatory. Yeah. But like in, in the employment law uh, scenario, things can be discriminatory. Like I could just not like Brian or I could not like Adam. <laughs> but if it's if there's not a reason why I was discriminating that is unlawful, then there's no, right. there's no claim. Like if I hated you because you were a man or because you are white or because, you know, something like that, then, then I, then you have, you have grounds to sue me, but I can't, if I just hate you because I hate you as a person or because you laugh funny or something like that, (laughs) there are no grounds. But in the context of this, this vacation rental issue, like there were so many other notice requirements that had not been met. There were um, ways in which the law was contrary to some state laws that allow uh, like vacation rentals around the around the beach areas. So there are just other things you may you may not know. You think that, that something's unfair, and it's easy to say it's unfair, but unless you can articulate mm-hmm. the statutory background or the, or the claims that you're making, you have no real relief. Yeah, I, I find it interesting how good humans are at noticing, even just kind of by accident, when a situation is unfair. Um, and then the legal system is kind of there to codify that feeling, right? And make it actionable. And we have such an incredible legal system in the U.S. I mean, I know we when we talk about access to justice issues, access to legal services issues, we're always talking about the bad. Like, these are all right. the people who don't have access. But the framework is so incredible. Like, my family is from Iran, and there, I mean, there are, there are no property rights there. Like, if you're a certain religion... They will come and take your take your house away from you, wow. and these are things we take for granted. Like yeah. if you do have access to a lawyer, there are so there's so much um, system and structure that can protect you. Yeah, well, this this is a theme that I'm trying to pay more attention to in my own day to day life right now. That uh, it's very easy to frame uh, opportunities for improvement as negativities. Um, and we see that a lot, especially in things like this, right, where it's it's easy to kind of get caught up in uh, movies about horrific, uh, horrific things that happen to people socially and politically and legally, uh, and then kind of apply that to like day to day, our legal systems busted. But really, the attitude is what you just said. It's, it's spectacular. It's one of the most advanced and most constructive systems we've ever built. There's just always room for improvement. So let's make it even better. <laughs> We used to have a series. We used to have, we had a short lived series on here called like "What the fuck did my taxes pay for?" <laughs> like this stuff, like this, right? I mean, that's totally. part of it. 
all um, those all those fancy legal books with the documents in them. <laughs> the the secret on top of that, though, you know, that's like it's it's very uh, lawyerly and contrarian to immediately pick apart the point that someone else just made. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, f- the system works, and the extent to which a lawyer is the secret sauce in making that happen is. Mm. A really, as a software person who then went yeah. to law school and sat through a 1L writing class and went, oh my God, this is so systematic. Totally. Like, how you negotiate that system, even as a lawyer, is very much about like, because it's a precedent-based system. And so, you know, you go in there and the real way to win a case is to say, there was a case last week that was exactly like this one, and here's how it was decided. Right. And if you can nail that down, if you can pattern recognize better than the than yeah. the other side, then the judge goes, yeah, that's that's the one. And that's out. And you're done like yeah. fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, you so, guys, I'm sure are hyper aware of this. I know you are, Adam, because we talk about it all the time. But when you read a contract um, and I'm guessing broader uh, uh, like legal code, which I have read much less of, but. Um, when you read a contract, it really is like you're just reading software, right? You define terms at the top, just like you define variables in a piece of software. And then you essentially write functions that are the sections of the contract. And then they all reference each other and call each other and they reference other documents. And so you end up with just very complex code that's all self-referential. Um, and I would imagine a lot of legal work is very similar to programmers. Like you have to go read all the things that are referenced loaded into your head and kind of you're processing the code trying to figure out where is it broken where is the where is what's relevant to my client or my case um it's it's an insane parallel um when i when i whenever we're talking about it it really blows my mind and so like the 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 thing the the reason i referenced my 1l writing class is so at the end of that year of taking your legal writing class usually produce like a memo or a brief or, you know, one of these lawyer documents that you would produce if you were an attorney at a firm preparing for what, you know, whatever for a client of a 20 page brief that I finished by the end, I would say maybe two pages of it was actually words I wrote. Like the rest of it was just a quote from a case. And then you say it's similar to, there's even words where they're like, just say it's similar to, or Mm. like, and if you don't say, if you try a more creative way to say it, the professor <laughs> circles it and takes off points. Like it, it, so it really is very systematic on the level of recognizing other places where this law had, like it's 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 almost like a debug situation, yeah. right? Where you go, okay, uh, I found another place where this error has been encountered. I'm going to classify this as the same type of error loaded over here. Here's my argument for why this is a bug or not within the way that this was decided or will be decided or, you know, whatever. A brief is much more about like, okay, how winnable is this case? And you're going to present it to the next person up the ladder. Yeah, the legal system encourages plagiarism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tons absolutely. Of it, right? That, that was always surprising <laughs> to me too. So does I coding. Like, yeah, yeah, so. totally. And it, it's, it's uh, in both cases, it is uh, strongly encouraged and like celebrated, right? In software... Software more than than legal, I think, but legal probably did it first, right? You, it's awesome when everyone's using the same established piece of software. It's it's celebrated. It's it's wonderful. It unites all these other projects. So, what do we do to uh, to increase access to justice? 
So I guess this kind of brings us back to one of the questions that we were discussing off air earlier as to whether there needs to be a, a civil right to, to legal aid or to legal services as, as a general whole, kind of like we have in criminal law. Um, yeah, yeah we get to talk about Gideon. Yeah, that was such an interesting <laughs> point you made, Dorna, when we, before we started. What, so you said there was a case that established uh, the legal precedent for an attorney in a criminal case? Yeah, so Gideon versus Wainwright is the case that in the criminal context entitles anyone who's facing a criminal matter to legal legal representation. Um, and so that's why if you get a DUI, which I hope you never do, you know, you, you have someone <laughs> representing you, even though it's not necessarily some of those, some of those like, like a murder case or something right. like that. But the question is whether we need to have something similar for civil legal rights when you have a lot of things at stake. I mean, you're not going to go to jail necessarily, but you could be taken right. out of your home. You could be prevented from getting benefits, uh, government benefits. You could be in a domestic violence situation, for example, where it, it is your livelihood. Right. Well, there's you hear, I think, the argument a lot that financial issues lead to criminal issues um, or at least lead to situations mm -hmm. where you're getting yourself into more and more trouble. So a small civil issue could lead to a larger civil issue and larger and larger, and then maybe you end up homeless and then you end up starving and then you end up doing something that you did, you wouldn't have normally done. Um, I don't know if I'm taking that, that story too oh, far. Yeah. But no, there is a term of art for that, that I'm frantically trying to remember right now, but it's like, <laughs> uh, collateral, collateral consequences, I think is what they call it in the, well, like, in the like civil okay. rights context and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, yeah, getting locked up sucks, but getting kicked out of your house, which could happen if you lose a judgment against your landlord, like it's going to have consequences well, other than consequences. you just get kicked out of your, you know, and you might end up going to rob somebody. Yeah. So like it's all part of the same, you know, my dad's whole practice was was civil, you know, trials, but they were about kids getting brain damage from lead paint, which causes that that type of the brain damage that it causes makes people more aggressive. And so yeah. Yeah, it ends up being a problem. It ends up being a criminal problem, right? So like, Wait, so when did, is the Gideon case from like old English law? Was this a long time ago? Uh, or is this no, something relatively recently? I want to say maybe like 50s or something like that. Wow. Well, like studying con law is really interesting because you have the constitution that guarantee you these, you know, baseline rights and also lays out how the rest of the system should work. And then all the rest of it is either stuff we inherited, like you said, from old English law or things that like literally when you take con law, it's just a history class about all of the decisions that have been made yeah. to clarify our, you know, baseline constitutional rights, like as it relates to all this stuff. Yeah, so we gotta, what did we you gotta, what did you say it was, Dorna? 50, 53? 63. 63. We got to chase this Gideon v. Wainwright thing further. So until 1963... So yeah, if I committed yeah. a crime and if I robbed someone's house or I murdered someone, well, murder is a bad example because everyone gets freaked out. Say I uh, stole your mail out of your mailbox. I don't know if that's big enough to warn anything, but I don't get representation. Uh, the The cops just come and get me and can put me in jail. And yeah, I mean, let's go with accused of murder, right? That experience for you is cops show up, throw you in the back of the car, don't have to say anything to you, which Did is not entirely true. Which you may not even that? know. So yeah. what happened when you went to court? Do you, they would just ask you questions directly, and if you had good answers, maybe you got off? 
And that's the thing. You don't know you're right. So you don't know that you're right. You have the right not to speak. So you may continue speaking. Although I guess Miranda would have, would have protected you a little bit from that. So when was Miranda? That's not even, that's fairly recent. You know, like it's within the last century. Wait, that, this that, is mind that blowing. All this shit you see on Law and Order came to <laughs> be. Miranda right? was like, sixty six, actually. Sixty six. No okay. way. So wait, you got the wait. right to to an attorney in sixty three, and in sixty six I mean, they had to tell like you you had a right when to an attorney. You couldn't go into certain restaurants if you were of a certain color, you know, or you wouldn't. Right. You could be fired. Yeah. For, like, well, it's interesting because I think right one of the, for me at least, one of the sort of foundational principles that I feel like I've known my whole life is that if you you're guaranteed right to counsel, which I until literally until just now, when you brought up Gideon B. Wainwright, I assumed has been around forever. That's why I kind of made the joke about old English. I was kind of hoping it actually would be more recent because I thought it'd be an interesting thread to pull. But holy (laughs) shit, I was not expecting that. That's insane. And it, yeah, the funny thing is a lot of the old English stuff like mainly relates to property rights. That was the most important thing to people sense. for such a long time. So property law is one of the hardest classes because it's just <laughs> there are all these weird archaic designators. Oh, you own that property in right. fee simple absolute. I don't know well, what like, the fuck does that mean? <laughs> well, like a lot of things too, uh, like our education system, for instance, I like to say a lot is is stuck in what it was for royalty in Europe in many, many centuries ago, right? So uh, this makes the fact that we only, someone accused of a crime only gets access to an attorney 60 years ago, really makes it relevant to have the conversation around, should we have uh, like required access to an attorney for everything that touches the legal system so that structurally would be difficult right there just aren't enough attorneys even now right so we have to do something like what you guys are both working on so a step back that i think you'll find interesting is the way that you do this and this is what gideon so gideon as a case was someone who said i think what's happening right here is unconstitutional so you're allowed to bring a case if you think what's happening to you is unconstitutional and if it's a legit case, it gets run all the way to the Supreme Court. And then, you know, quote, new law is made. <laughs> um, so somebody went to try this case and they defended their right to have a lawyer saying that under the Constitution, you should have the right to an attorney. Blah, blah, blah. And they won. But only for criminal cases. So, I mean, the way that you get what they call civil Gideon which is the right to an attorney in civil cases is somebody has got to go find the right case and sue and say, in this context, I think it's a violation of my constitutional rights that I lost this case without the consultation of an attorney. And then, you know, so it's, that's one way to do it. Right. Which is a big hassle. You could also get a law passed, which (sighs) comparable hassle these days, if not worse. (laughs) Particularly um, given the political climate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's been hard to get like legal aid funding as a whole. That's been something yeah, that right. Trump wanted to cut down. It's typically legal services corporation is the entity that that is. It's like a quasi governmental body that mm-hmm. gets funding from Congress and then doles it out to a bunch of different legal aid organizations throughout the the U.S. And when Trump was elected, he proposed taking what's around like a little over 400 million a year mm-hmm. that goes to the Legal Services Corporation down to zero. He has not been successful, but I think 
that kind of just gives you a little bit of a picture of what the what the what the willingness to have something like civil getting is. I, I constantly I don't want to chase Trump for too long, but I gotta respond to that for a second. I'm constantly amazed at the like I just I can't wrap my head around the fact that people are doing things like this. I I just can't understand how they can be so mean. <laughs> <laughs> right so selfish and so then i then i start thinking i'm like well maybe they aren't and then i'm like wait <laughs> this one in particular seems like he probably is but it's just it's amazing the stuff that we just want to not offer to other people um which in context of this conversation is just so critical it's astonishing how much value as 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 i've gotten more access to justice in my life through various means most of them being like the luck of who i who i was when i was born it's astonishing the benefits you get it's absolutely astonishing and then the benefits you're given in situations where you should have gotten in trouble and you didn't um it, it's it's amazing and it just it's disgusting that we can't give these rights to everybody which i get is difficult to build up and, and make available but so and some of these are basic human needs. I mean, it's shelter, sustenance, your physical yeah. safety, your health. Yeah, uh, many, many of them. So what does the world look like, Dorna, with more access to justice? If you could snap your fingers right now, what kind of what vision do you have? I think kind of as you guys were alluding to there, there's just never going to be enough lawyers mm. who are and enough funding for human lawyers to be representing every single person who needs assistance. I think there's, we, we do need to welcome and kind of deregulate some of the legal system and in, in the forms, mm. in the archaic ways that it's, that it's been handled, like in many other, other industries, like in medical, you go to a hospital, there are nurses who help you and they are able to do some certain mm. tasks mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a little bit in the legal sphere because we have this like very protectionist system. It's really only lawyers who can do anything. Right. Maybe you can have some paralegals do some stuff in the background, but not only can lawyers only do things, but there is a very vehement opposition to anything automatic mm-hmm. and anything technology wise. Mm-hmm. So I think we just need to open our minds to what, what that, what that brings in terms of possibility right. And not necessarily am I saying that we just throw all rules out of the out of the window and anyone can practice law and and do anything they want, but we need to think of the the way that we stru- we've structured the mm-hmm. the legal profession differently. Yeah, it's interesting that there's you you mentioned medical as a parallel, which I was thinking while you were saying that that's a that as much as the law kind of overlaps with engineering, I'll say more broadly on kind of the structural sense in in some of the like people problems and and the. Uh, not the people causing the problems, but the employment problems, it overlapped well with medical, right? And it's been interesting seeing uh, like registered nurses and physician's assistants, like these kind of other uh, professions pop up that are in support of things that are needed, right? Like you don't need a doctor to diagnose uh, even probably like a broken arm or something relatively significant like that, right? You could have a lot of other people save, save the doctor's time for a heart attack. Um, and it definitely, I get that impression a lot when I'm trying to figure out inf- when I'm trying to gather information on something that I suspect is a legal need. It's so frustrating to have people either like not be able to give me information or give me like a vague answer. Cause they're afraid they'll get in trouble if they give me the wrong thing. 
And it's like, hey, I I can't even take the first step because you can't tell me what I need to know to get to the next thing. So um, interesting. Well, and I think healthcare is a really relevant analogy on really like literally every level. Because if you think about the regulation in the space, like you think about something like pharmaceuticals, right? Like uh, you could go to a doctor, you could get the thing, they can take your blood pressure before you do it, blah, blah, blah. Or we could run a buttload of tests to find out what percentage of people Tylenol will just kill. <laughs> and if it's low enough, uh, okay, we'll let it go. You got to run some disclaimers, but like, hey, you know, 0.001% of people might just die the first time they take this. I, You know, like they, they run numbers like that. They yeah. have all these different, it's like, okay, what's the minimum viable what 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 there's a there's a term of art for it it's like uh minimal effective dose and then they have a, a lethal dose and then the thing that's allowed is 50 percent of the lethal dose and like it you know it you can make rules for how you use these weird things yeah. so they only hurt a small percentage of people and so like we act like we don't have frameworks to understand how could i provide a contract for a customer that works almost all of the time like it, it just it's it, that's the silliest part to me about the legal industry's behavior in this regard is like we have so many models in front of us of not just how it could be done and 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 how it overlaps with the emotional stuff but then also like what happens if we don't move fast enough when the problem is the size of the problem that we have so i think maybe a thing to hit real quick is kind of like when we talk about access to justice stats like we're talking about, and these are things that, you know, because we're lawyers and because we deal with the law, like people have gone and done studies on this stuff like crazy. We got data like crazy to some level in terms of like what it, you know, what are the access to justice problems? And they come back with numbers like 78% of people who would have pursued a minimal civil matter to defend their rights don't. Because they don't want to talk to lawyers, they don't have access to the system, they, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's like 200 million Americans a year who are just going, yeah, but... Totally. Like, <laughs> have you guys heard of the, the regulatory sandbox in Utah? No. Yeah, so a lot of interesting stuff, for sure. Yeah, um, so it's it's basically a program, kind of like they've actually, it, it goes along with what you were saying, Adam, is we we have data and we can test these things to determine whether or not these huge harms that we think are going to happen mm -hmm. are actually real. So in Utah, what they've built is a regulatory sandbox that allows the, the participants to basically test kind of like innovative financial products uh, or, mm -hmm. you know, or, or kind of products that are legal products, mm -hmm. um, kind of like they did in the fintech world. Like right. when in fintech, a lot of what they do is they to test whether something will have huge consequences is they will release it in a limited jurisdiction and figure out, you know, if we automate taxes or something like that, what kind of effect is it going to have on, on the, on the, the general public? And so they're doing the same thing with legal in Utah, hmm. uh, allowing people to kind oh, of, without awesome. being licensed, be authorized to. Yeah. It's again, it's another parallel with medicine because like what we're talking about here is because of the squishy context yeah. where I was talking about where software and humans meet, the only possible way to test a drug is ultimately you got to try it on humans. And so that means you got to be able to, to say like, Hey, without getting arrested, can I try this on a thousand people? Yeah. Well, it's the only way to test it. Right. And the, so that's what the sandboxes are for. Totally. Or like sometimes you hear them called safe harbors. That's the thing that's been popping up in crypto 
which is the idea of like, hey, you can kind of do whatever you want for three years, but then here's our rules for how you got to capitulate mm. with the existing system, you know, yeah. uh, uh, well, to come a, into compliance. It's a neat time for all of this too, because I think a lot of these, we're, we're, we're labeling two of the largest, most complex institutions, right? Healthcare and, and the legal system. <laughs> yeah. And until relatively recently, I think, there just there weren't as many people that understood them. There weren't as many attorneys. There weren't as many doctors, nurses, um, healthcare practitioners, and it was harder for people, I think, to conceptualize ways to make a difference or make a change. And now, it, just like everywhere, right? We don't have, we haven't adjusted those systems to allow for innovation that is actually available now. And maybe a hundred years ago, it was super dangerous to allow a small company to try to code a market with, with drugs, but that could for sure be figured out now in a way that there could be more competition in the drug market and it would still be safe. I'm sure of it. I'm sure. I'm sure I also sound really ignorant, but the same, same situation is probably happening with law and fintech, right? Like it seems like it's dangerous to let a small company come in and innovate these gigantic systems, but we are ready for it. You know, society wants it. Um, we have the technologies, we have the skilled people like you guys who can merge these different industries and we need to let it happen. It's crazy to lock this stuff up and let it, let it spiral out of control. Cause it is a lot of the, the stuff is out of control. The funny. And so like we have an, ep we have an episode where we talk about this is shortly after uh, that, that company had bought the EpiPen and like jack the price way up. And immediately on the internet, I saw an article that was like, here's how you can make an EpiPen for, cause, cause yeah. epinephrine like is still bucks. really cheap to buy in a vial. It's just the pen mechanism that this, that this company can, has the patent for. But there are also auto injectors that do the same thing that that pen does for any syringe. And so immediately there was a blog post up going, Hey, here's how you can do this. Just like an EpiPen for 25 bucks. And so we did a whole episode on like the idea of like, okay, you know, 3D printing drugs and stuff like that. It's worth listening to sort of in this context because you don't have to 3D print contracts. They're already just writing that started from <laughs> ideas in my brain. I'm already using the technology that I would use to provide a legal drug to the world. Like, so the idea that we can't apply the same mechanisms and that there's some sort of thing that should stop this from happening it's just, I, I spend more time than I'd like, like. Freedom of information, like you said, you know, you, you go online and you find out someone's already posted about how to create your own EpiPen. And that's hopefully starting, you know, that's happening with legal mm -hmm. where there's more information. It's yeah. just really the proliferation of the internet, but there's more information for you to access. And then turning, turning them into these more systematized uh, frameworks is what we need to really make it easier for, mm -hmm. for the public. Yeah, it's funny how much we want to hide information from people. I remember when when medical information first started going up on the internet and it there was so much resistance to it. And I get it. Like, it's dumb. I, I do this too. I go to my doctor. I'm like, I've got a tumor in my pancreas. And he's like, no, you ate you ate two cheeseburgers last night. That's not the problem. But <laughs> the it's still extraordinarily helpful. Like my understanding of medical, my medical knowledge is it, it's got to be better for the world for the most part. I know we've got other stupid things that come ancillary to all of these things, but allow the population to be educated so we can get access to this stuff. So, and so what's to your benefit as a lawyer? I mean, I, I feel like there's, there's almost like a selfish appeal to lawyers that, that we can make is that if you, 
if you are more innovative, if you allow information to get out there, it's actually better for you as a lawyer mm -hmm. because people know more about legal services. People are going to come to you. Mm, yeah. uh, like I had a client yesterday who he told me he has 50,000 YouTube followers. And so I went online to, to go see what, what his YouTube page was about. And it's basically just like talking about how to set up companies, the LLCs, like how to how you pay yourself. There's all these comments below it. And he's gotten a lot of business through this. Mm -hmm. There's all these comments below it that are like, oh, I just paid $300 to a lawyer to explain just this to me the other day. <laughs> but if you're the one who's putting this out into the world, then when the person actually has a real legal, legal issue or actually needs help setting up that, that company, they're going to come to you. Yeah. And so here's the kicker, though, that I think people don't like that that this is the this is the 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 most controversial part of things i end up saying to lawyers so maybe we cut it if i sound like too much of an <laughs> asshole uh i don't think lawyers ever go away but i think 267 dollars per hour as an average price is yeah. insane for what they're providing because i have had personal trainers who have provided me more guidance than lawyers that i have paid 500 dollars per hour and when you look at that from a market dynamic standpoint, yeah. there is an uncomfortable adjustment coming for a certain class of help provider in this space where what you have is knowledge and like, sure, it, it costs a lot to go to law school, but then ultimately, hey, here's the service I'm providing. And there's a world where maybe that's only worth $99 an hour and not 500 yeah. Well, and... there's, there's not a free market for justice. So there's clearly not a free market. There's not free market salaries either. Right. So that, right. Uh, that un I, I kind of want to say, unfortunately, and I think, I think people give like the trope is that lawyers, people make a lot of jokes about lawyers being bad, which I don't think is normally true, but doctors is maybe a better one. Cause I think people usually make the opposite comment. They're in the same situation, right? We need more doctors, uh, they we can't afford for them to be so expensive, and we have rules and regulations that separate them from everyone else, and so uh, the markets need to work more effectively. Well, and so what that gets me to the soapbox about the billable hour, right? Like what we say at Juris is billable <laughs> hours don't scale, right? The idea that I'm going to bill you for the hour it takes to prepare X, Y, and Z, like you can't. So the solution, if 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 my value per hour is going to drop to $99. And that doesn't align with the system and the cost of the education and all that kind of stuff. The only way to fix it is, is scale. You have to, now I got to fit five clients in the space of that hour if I want to maintain my lifestyle. And software is really good at helping us scale things like this and knowledge problems and administrative problems yeah. and stuff like that. Like, there are ways that we and all, we as lawyers all end up making more money than we ever dreamed. Because there's so much volume in here, it's just going to look weird. It's not going to look like a billable hour where you grind on this case and rewrite a letter and file some things and then blah, blah, blah. And then you go, that was three hours, $1,500. Um, it's going to look- I completely look agree. It's like you're, you're differentiating services between from, from products, which are more externalized mm. rather than being mm -hmm. within your firm, like the bespoke legal services where the person comes and sits in front of you and you charge them for- every minute that they that you've spent on their case and everything is custom crafted to to fit them right anyway man i don't know that we could have done better in terms of an overview of the whole thing <laughs> just kind of talking about um so do you want to tell everybody where to check out document and kind of poke at this stuff 
Definitely. Um, so you can reach our website at www.documate.org. Um, Xerox has the .com. <laughs> we, my, you can email me at uh, Dorna at documate.org. And then you can also tweet at us at documatelaw. Awesome. Sweet. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Yeah, this thank is, you guys so much. This was really fun. Yeah, we got into lots of fun issues. Yeah, it's okay, such, an get out of here. such an interesting space. It just, my eyes are constantly opening more to how law affects everyday life. It's just, it's my much of that is just like hashtag grown up life. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, adult, uh, adult <laughs> life, hash, adulting, hashtag, hashtag like adulting. upper middle class <laughs> adopting, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging out for another Zengineering podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Dorna. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks.